Sing it out. This is our destiny. The battle's already won. Make it loud. We're giving everything. By the cross, we have overcome. Welcome back to the Home Bible Study Podcast. And we are currently studying in the book of Jonah. Uh, We're also studying in Hebrews, but um, the Lord led me to this book of Jonah. And it's a small book. It's only four chapters. You would think uh, there's just not a lot there, but there is so much here. And I have thoroughly enjoyed this study. We've come to chapter two hope that you're enjoying it as well and that you'd share it with others. Um, I hope that you would be doing that uh, if you find this to be a blessing that you would share these podcasts with other people so that the Lord would be able to be glorified in their lives as well. That's our intent um, here. So we've come to chapter two. We will do a little review. So Jonah was approached by the Lord and asked to uh, take a message to Nineveh, right? Uh, These Gentiles. And for whatever reason, Jonah decided to not obey the Lord and go the opposite way. But in his journey, uh, we see a lot of things about the grace Um, the purpose, the sovereignty, the providence of God, all of these things are seen and that God's will is accomplished in spite of Jonah. And uh, I think that there's a lot to be learned from that experience, from being able to see these things happening in Jonah's life uh, that we can make application also to our life. So very interesting. And now we've come to the point to where um, Jonah is on board this ship going the opposite direction from where God had told him to go in an attempt to get away from God and to get away from his calling. And uh, we see how God sovereignly um, is over all the events associated with not only Jonah's life, but the lives of those that he came in contact with. And even... Um, led these men, these mariners on the ship that he was on, led them to a true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and was able to minister to them, not so much because he wanted to, but because that was God's will for his life. So a lot of good principles there. And now we've come to the point where these men have been challenged with their very first Uh, challenge of faith and they're newly saved this man has introduced them to the true and living God of the land and the sea they have come to a right knowledge of who God is and are now submitting themselves to that um, knowledge they're they are responding positively to divine revelation they have been saved And the first thing they're challenged to do is to toss over the man who brought them to this place into the ocean. So we can see that there's some challenges of faith and whatever you're being challenged with right now in your life, in your growth, in your development, understand that God will use that. 
He has a purpose for bringing and orchestrating all the events that are associated with your life, uh, what's happening to you right now, what will happen to you in the future. It's all a part of his plan and purpose to bring us to the place that we need to be um, in uh, perfection, completeness. You know, uh, there's no perfection in this life, but there is a completion. There's a starting point of our uh, our relationship with God, and then there's a place of completion. And in that place, we will enjoy eternity with him. So that's what's happening. And these men are now forced with the truth, a uh, very difficult truth. And, you know, you're going to come to some doctrine, some truths in scripture that are going to challenge you. It's going to challenge what you thought, what you believed, what you thought was true, um, and make you to see that um, you might have been incorrect. What you assumed might be incorrect. What you've been taught might have been incorrect. So we have to come to the word open and ready to receive the wisdom that God has for us. And sometimes it's very difficult, very challenging. But uh, believe God. Believe him, trust him, and you will be the better for it. Not only you, but everyone who comes in contact with you. So these men had to throw Jonah overboard, and that must have been a challenge. But we see that's what they did. They uh, prayed about it, and they, you know, they said, Lord, if this is what you have us to do, then we'll do it. But only because it's what you would have us to do, not because we want to. And they did it. And they, it says in uh, Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. So it caused them to reverence God more when they obeyed his command. When they acted in faith, it made their um, reverence for God, their understanding of who he is who he is in their life, who he is uh, in relationship to the all things. It made them to reverence him even more. So that's what faith does. That's what walking by faith does. It causes us to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And we see that here in the Old Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And um, we see that in these men's lives. And it says that they feared the Lord or reverenced him exceedingly and offered a sacrifice. Um, so that's where we pick up, um, verse 17 of chapter 1. So we've come to the place uh, in Jonah where God has used Jonah in spite of Jonah, not wanting to be used. I think that's a good summary of what we've seen so far. Jonah is very much like us. We're told to do something by the Lord that for whatever reason, we don't want to do. The steps of disobedience lead to some very frightful places, and it's better to walk by faith and obey God. That's the, that's the message of Jonah. Jonah is going to realize this, but not before completing the journey um, into the only place that disobedience leads, the very depths of sin and death. That's where disobedience to God leads. So we pick up in verse 17 of chapter 1. 
and I'm reading from the King James Version. Uh, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now there's a lot that's said about this fish and this whole story, but I'm not going to get into that. We're just going to um, study the word and, and continue on like we've been doing. The Lord prepared this great fish. I mean, great meaning it was large. How large? I don't know. But I know it was large enough to swallow Jonah, right? So to me, the picture is that um, as Jonah, you know, hit the water, this fish came and gobbled him up. You know, Jonah hit the water, the fish gobbled him up. So um, Jonah experienced the fear, the terror, everything that you would ex think someone would experience uh, falling into the ocean. And we have to remember that this was a stormy ocean. So this was not a calm ocean. The ocean didn't calm itself until Jonah was thrown over. So that's when the, the Lord calmed the, the waves and the tempest went away. So this is very traumatic. But God obviously prepared this fish ahead of time to swallow Jonah. And, you know, there's a lot that can be said here. And I can go into a lot of detail about uh, predestination and that whole doctrine. But rather than go into detail, I'm just going to uh, take the word for what it says. and says, the Lord prepared this fish. How far in advance God prepared the fish really doesn't matter. The fact is that God had this uh, situation uh, planned ahead of time. And if he prepared the fish, that means he prepared Jonah for this. He prepared, uh, you can take that, uh, apply that truth as far as you want to. He prepared um, all the all things. And he's prepared those things ahead of time for his glorification. So this fish here was part of that, this situation, this scenario. You can make the same application to your life, I can make it to mine. That wherever we are today, God prepared ahead of time and is very aware of and intimately involved in all the circumstances that we're facing. From God's perspective, it's very different from where we are. But the important thing for us to do is by faith is to see things from God's perspective. So it says the Lord prepared this great fish to swallow Jonah. Uh, I can't imagine many things more terrifying than uh, being tossed into the ocean and being swallowed by a fish. I can't. <clears throat> That's the stuff of nightmares, if you ask me. And it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we can't missed the clear and obvious reference to the Lord Jesus in his resurrection as um, that's a clear um, call call back to, you know, the Lord's uh, being dead and his death, burial and resurrection uh, and being resurrected on the third day. So there's the parallels have begun. Uh, Jesus himself called out Jonah as a parallel, um, and here we see it in the Old Testament. 
the teaching of the resurrection. So that's to get our minds where it needs to be as we uh, study this, that God had a purpose in all that he was doing, not only in Jonah's life, in the lives of the people that Jonah would interact with, but also in our lives, because we know these things were recorded for our benefit. These particular things that God has in scripture were for our benefit. So the Lord had prepared all of this. The events associated with Jonah are significant, you know, significant to us in a lot of different ways. Beyond the immutable truths that are set forth of the kindness and the grace of God, which are definitely set forth in the salvation of these men, those mariners, in the way that God has dealt with Jonah. Uh, God has been very patient with Jonah and he's very patient with us. And we can see these truths, these what I call immutable truths that are a part of the, the attributes of the God we serve, the Lord Jesus Christ. We can see those things here. These events are elevated by the way that they're linked to the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I alluded to that, that there's definitely a connection to Jesus and his ministry um, on behalf of all those who are saved. And I'll just point out a few of these things. One, Jonah being in the fish three days and three nights is a clear foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the third day. I'm sure that you know many scholarly men have elaborated on this fact, so I'll just kind of point it out because there's I'm sure there's a lot that you could read about that. The second thing I think is important here Jesus made a direct reference to Jonah during his time on earth in response to the religious leaders asking for a sign. They wanted a sign to prove that he was God in the flesh. Now, this was an evil and ridiculous request because Jesus performed more miracles than even could be documented, as stated by the apostles. So Jesus gave them this response, which forever elevates the book of Jonah, to the highest plane of scripture. <laughs> he said, But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, uh, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, uh, uh, large fish is what that says, not whale, it's a huge fish. So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here we see the Lord Jesus linking directly his resurrection to this book of Jonah. And I just think it's amazing how that, you know, people completely lose sight of that and they get caught up in everything else about this story. When this is the focus, this is obviously the testimony of this book. And then number three, Jonah was the first recorded missionary to the Gentiles. We can't overlook that. Jonah was a precursor, many people believe, and I can see it as well, uh, to the Apostle Paul. If you're a Gentile, like I am, then 
you have to be indebted to Paul for his faithful ministry to the Gentiles and to all the subsequent people that were a part of perpetuating the gospel of Christ because the gospel of Christ made it to you if you're saved. And that was all because of the faithfulness of just a few people multiplied the grace of God in the lives of these people. And now we, those of us who are saved, are a part of that family, that body. And we have that same opportunity to perpetuate the gospel. It's pretty amazing. So those are just a few reasons why I think Jonah is an amazing account. Uh, I love the story. It's engaging and I'm fully invested. And so keep in mind that God planned all of this. Just like he prepared that fish, he planned all of these details. None of this was a surprise to him. This is all a part of his purpose, a part of how he's glorifying himself, not only in the time of Jonah and in the lives of those people, but also in his first advent as he ministered to those um, people that were around him in that time. And now this book is still ministering to us. God is a part of all those things. Um, and just like he prepared that fish to swallow Jonah, he's prepared all these things. It's something to meditate upon. We should take, take a little time and, and just meditate on how awesome God is. So now we're going to pick up in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the belly of the fish. So now Jonah is in the fish. Um, I can't, like I said, I can't imagine the horror that I would be experiencing. First being thrown into the ocean and then being swallowed by this fish. Uh, now Jonah felt the full weight of the discipline of the Lord. Whereas in the boat, he could sleep. Now he was in a place of terror. So we see the progression. Um, if you are going to take a stance against the word of God, against his expressed instructions to you, then this is the only progression that you can look forward to. It's going to be as you get further away from him spiritually, you're going to find that you're going to experience uh, the more severe um, circumstances. Now, does that mean that if your circumstances are severe right now, that it's because you're just being disobedient? No, not at all. Because we've seen that those, those mariners, when they were first saved, the first thing they had to do was they had a huge challenge of faith to them. But here it's clear that uh, Jonah has not yielded to the, the will of God. He is still um, on a trajectory away from the will of God. And so God has to deal with that, just like he has to deal with us. He has to get us in a place where we are ready to receive the instruction. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, man is unique that way. 
we need to learn submission. We have to be taught to yield our members, ourselves, to to God and His will. Um, the whole of Scripture, if you step back and you really look at the entire message of the Bible, to me it could be summed up in that God is proving His righteousness and man's unrighteousness. And that is the point, the key point of uh, place, meeting point between God and man is the knowledge of knowing that God is right and we're wrong. And once we get to that place, then we're ready to be taught. You know, that's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom. Once we get to that point, now we can start learning. So uh, Jonah's not at that point yet. And so God is using these circumstances, um, although very severe, to get Jonah to that place that he needs to be. And I don't take this as Jonah's first rodeo. I don't think Jonah's, he clearly, it's you can tell from subsequent verses that he had a very intimate and close relationship with God. He knew God. Um, but God is, has a way of making us to, in learning about him, learn about ourselves and the depths of our own uh, sin. And I think it's important for us to see these things, although it's unpleasant. It's important for us to see these things because it shows us from how far God has delivered us from, from the, we, we, we understand the negative. We learn from the negative, unfortunately, more than we do the positive. So when we can see the distance that we are from God and the depths of our depravity, then we understand better and we value more the salvation from that, you know, that's, uh, I think another axiom of scripture. So that's what's happening with Jonah. He is now in this fish. And it says, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord out of the belly of the fish. So Jonah's in this fish. He's terrified. He's um, calling out to God. That's the only thing he knows to do in this situation. And it's the right thing to do. It's it's a act of faith for him to call out to God um, in this situation. So now he's in the out of the frying pan into the fire, you might say. So Jonah, although being fully aware that the peril um, to those men was his fault. Remember, he told him, he says, because of me. Still, at that time, we don't see him calling out to God. I find that very interesting. And I think that's part of a sign that Jonah wasn't where he needed to be. So God turns up the heat. And now you might say he's cooking fried prophet. Okay. So Jonah finds himself in the belly of this huge fish. And now he's face to face with the consequence of his rebellion. He's forced to see the consequences. Um, the verse the verses that follow 
verse 1 of chapter 2 reveal the heart of Jonah uh, in obedience and submission to God. So we see a, a shift. And it doesn't mean that necessarily Jonah has learned his lesson, but it does show the fact that this prophet knew God and he knew, had a relationship with the Lord and he knew that he was the one that was going to be his salvation if there was going to be any. Oftentimes, I think we have to be put in a difficult situation to be shocked back to a right mindset in considering who the Lord is and who we are in relationship to the Lord. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. It's Hebrews 12, 3. Jonah is a book of parallels, and none so significant, I think, as chapter 2. As we read it, I want you to kind of keep in your mind two things. One, Jonah, a man in the belly of a fish, in the darkness, the stench and foul odor that he must be drowning in as seaweed strangled the life right from him. And the second thing I'd like for you to kind of keep in your mind is Jesus. Jesus, as he gave up the ghost on the cross, you know, after experiencing this loathsome separation from the Father, as he journeyed into hell in the place of the dead. I think those two things are being pictured here. And we have to keep both things in mind because here we see a picture of not only Jonah and what he experienced, but also, I think, what the Lord Jesus experienced when he gave up the ghost and went into Sheol on behalf of all those whom he would save. Now, the prophet has been called to, I think, far more than just the mission of ministering to the mariners on the ship and even more than preaching to the citizens of Nineveh, although these are both very awesome callings and missions. Unbeknownst to Jonah or anyone other than the Lord Jesus at this time, Jonah has been thrust into a place of ultimate or highest use of God. Paul said that his highest desires were that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I've already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.10 through 12. So here we see Jonah being apprehended of God. He has a purpose beyond what he even knew or understood. Paul was knew that whatever he was doing, even if he didn't understand everything that was going on or why it was happening, it was for the furtherance of the gospel. It was part of him being molded, developed, and, and brought along that path that was designated just for him so that he could ultimately have fellowship on the highest level with the Lord Jesus Christ.
this is our trajectory collectively as the body. This should be our individual goals. And how you get there is probably a different route than how I'm going to get there. But the conduit is the word of God. That's how that's we have the same uh, direction. We have the same guidance. We have the same God, the Holy Spirit within us. But God has designed uniquely a path for you and a path for me. Sometimes our paths will converge. That's when we get to enjoy the fellowships of one another. We get to enjoy the ministries and the gifts of each other. But at the same time, we're all on a path. And now we see this is Jonah's path. And we see now we have the advantage of being able to look back in the light of Scripture and see that unbeknownst to Jonah, he has been, his life, his this uh, situation has elevated him to place him in that place of being conformable to the Lord Jesus in his, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. So let's, let's dive into it and see what Jonah experienced and how we might benefit from it. So Jonah is about to become the Old Testament example of what Paul is describing. Um, Jonah, in his experience in the belly of the fish, will set forth the greatest doctrine of the Christian faith. And I don't know that you can really rate them, you know, these doctrines, because, you know, I'll say the next doctrine is the greatest. But um, the key to the power of the gospel message is definitely the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel message. That is the power, the punch that Jesus was resurrected, that he's alive. He is alive from the dead, that the Father accepted him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the people. And he forever lives as that Lamb, as that sacrifice to save men. That is the power. And this is setting forth that doctrine of resurrection, uh, this victory over sin. So obviously Jesus is the fulfillment and the ultimate example of this. But here, the doctrine is definitely set forth in verse 2 of chapter 2. And said, this is uh, Jonah, I cried by reason of my affliction. So that word affliction means to oppressing or a tight situation. And I don't imagine that Jonah was in uh, a large enough fish that he had room to move around. I'm sure that he was constricted. Um, even if you don't look at the situation itself as constricting, I think literally the fish, uh, I don't think there's a lot of room inside this fish for him to have a lot of mobility, um, that he was uh, pretty constrained or restricted. Um, I can't imagine this really in my mind because it sounds so horrible. Um, so we're put in situations as believers that seem to us to have us trapped, you know, on all sides. But it's important to utilize our greatest resource in those situations because we can't 
uh, always get out of the trap. There's, there's, there was no escaping this fish for Jonah. He was going to be in that fish for three days and three nights. That was just it. So that wasn't an option. But the option he did have, he utilized, and that was to call out, to cry out to God in faith. And that's exactly what we can do. We can always cry out to God and ask him to give us wisdom and grace to bear under whatever situation comes upon us. Clearly, this situation was in response to Jonah's uh, being rebellious, but it had a much larger application than even Jonah understood. And God was using this to minister to Jonah in a very special way and subsequently to us. So I don't want to focus on the disciplinary part of it too much because that's definitely, there's definitely an aspect there. But I think the bigger application, the broader application, is that God is the God over circumstances, no matter what they are. And the response of faith is to always look to the Lord Jesus for our help. Because that's where our help comes from. It doesn't come from people. It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from anything material. It comes from the Lord. He says, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. That's where we should be looking. That's the direction that we should be going in. Because that's where our help comes from. That's where we need to stay. Um, and it says, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. I think it's very important. Not only does he use the word belly of hell instead of belly of fish, because to him, this was a very hellish situation. But I think here we have a context clue that the Lord Jesus has given us to make us to see that this is not just an application of a man and a fish, that this is far greater than that, that this goes beyond just Jonah and the fish, even unto the Lord Jesus and his experience. Jonah described his condition as being in the belly of hell. So we should note a few things here that might benefit us as we learn the power of his resurrection in our own lives. That's what we're looking for. That's our goal. Remember, Paul set that forth. And we're learning that from Jonah's experience. Number one, Jonah set out on this path when he rebelled against the word of God. When we or Jonah choose to ignore the word of God, then we're on a downward southern trajectory. Remember, God told him to go north. He went as far south as he could possibly go and then went to the lowest part of the ship. That is what happens when we ignore the word of God. We head on a southern trajectory. The only result is unpleasant. Now, for me to put this to say that being in the belly of a fish, being thrown overboard is unpleasant, is putting it mildly. Uh, I think hell is, uh, the belly of hell is much more descriptive. But this is the consequence, you know. That's what we have to understand is that the consequences can be very extreme. Uh, it's important for us to keep our eyes on the Lord and follow his word. As believers, we'll be disciplined and God will correct our course uh, to direct us where he wills us to be. We see that in the life of Jonah. For the unsaved, there's a whole different message here. Uh, if you're unsaved, you're going to land in a place of eternal separation. You're separated from God in this life. 
your only trajectory is south. You have no hope. Okay, your only hope is in the salvation, the grace of God, and that's the only message here for you is that this fish and being in its belly, being described as the belly of hell, is putting it lightly for what's ahead of you. Okay, because of your unwillingness uh, and inability to believe God, in spite of the manifold witnesses that God has given to to all of mankind um that will speak against you and you know it's like putting hot coals on top of your head uh, you're going to land in a literal hell and lake of fire that's that's the trajectory of the unsaved but it doesn't have to be that way um the mercy of god is now today is the day of salvation if you ignore that then you're, you know, you're going to be on that southern trajectory. There's nothing to stop that from happening. Um, that's just how it is. And number two, we also see another parallel here in Jonah's actual experience and the Lord Jesus' experience post the cross. We know that after Jesus physically died, he took the path that of all men. It said that, it's given man once to die and then the judgment. So Jesus took this path. Jesus was the second Adam, right? And that he created a pathway to the true holy temple. The, the tabernacle was a picture of the real holy temple that is in heaven, the throne room of God, where the mercy of God is, where the throne of God is. And it was a picture of that. And... Um, there was no access to that for man. Man had no access to heaven whatsoever. Uh, it could not be. We we were cut off, and so Jesus, and that's because of the first Adam and his sin. So the second Adam, the Lord Jesus, created a pathway to deliver us from that fate and to make a way for us to go unto heaven. And so Jesus was that pathway. His he became a man. He took upon flesh. He lived a life that was righteous, perfect, and pure. And he died a death um, that was substitutionary and was raised again now to give this life, not just eternal life, but eternal life in heaven, right? We have full access to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. So that that's what Jesus accomplished. Uh, Jesus became a high priest, it says in Hebrews, in the order of Melchizedek, and superseded the Aaronic priesthood and all the things that were imperfect about that Aaronic priesthood. Jesus came and superseded that, and he became a better everything, right? A better priest, a better everything for us, for the church. And that's what we have now. That's what, that's the grace that we live in now. Um, in Jesus' death, he went to hell or Sheol. That's what it's called, the place of, of the dead. It's, uh, it's, uh, that's where, um, that's where the dead went prior to his resurrection. And it's a, it's kind of a, a twofold place. On one part, you have uh, paradise 
And then there's another part that was hell where they were suffering. Paradise, it was beautiful, wonderful. Uh, it was a, a great place to be. Hell, uh, proper suffering, a gnashing of teeth, uh, fire, uh, very bad. So, and we know that you could see the paradise people could see hell and the hell people could see paradise people. We know that from the parable that the Lord Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus. So we got some insight as to what it was like pre-resurrection. And we know that Jesus, that when people died and they, were, they died in faith, they went to paradise. So Jesus had to go take paradise and take it up to heaven. Uh, he went to let them know. He says, hey, I've made a way for you to be in heaven. Prior to that, no man went to heaven. It was not possible. There was no uh, way that that could happen. So uh, that's the significance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that he not only delivered us from the consequence and penalty of sin, but he also made way for us to go directly to the Father. So Jesus became uh, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, and that's the role that he, the ministry that he has right now. That's what he is on our behalf. Um, prior to Jesus' first advent, all men who died went to paradise who were, who were saved. It was also known as Abraham's bosom. Uh, paradise was a part of Sheol, and it's where the righteous went, and it served as kind of a holding place for them until Jesus, the second Adam, the author and completer of faith, opened access to heaven for the redeemed. So you have to understand that hell is a holding place. That's what hell is. It used to hold paradise, and it still holds uh, all the damned, those who are unsaved, who, uh, who are not the beneficiaries of the grace of God and salvation. And it's just holding them. And one day at the great white throne judgment, all of those people are going to be called out. Uh, and, and, you know, hell's the same for everyone. They, it's equal. There's not like uh, degrees of suffering. Everybody in hell suffers the same because it's a holding place. And during the great white throne judgment, they'll be called out and there'll be books open. And those books are going to detail all the sin that they accomplished in their lifetime. And then they're going to be thrown in a their permanent place of suffering and permanent separation from God, which will be the lake of fire. And in the lake of fire, there will be gradations in this lake of fire that uh, one person may suffer at one level, another person will suffer at another level, all depending on what they did in their life. So God is righteous. God is just. Uh, fortunately, those of us who are saved, we're not getting justice. We're getting grace. And that's what you want. You want grace. So this is what the Lord Jesus did. He opened up a way. Um, he opened up a way for us to go into heaven. Uh, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Okay, so that's in First Peter chapter 3. So we see that, you know, part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus and what he accomplished 
was that in his death, he went to paradise and he ministered to these people to say, hey, I've made the way for you to go now to the uh, throne room of God or what Jonah refers to as the holy temple. So Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 verse 22, verses 18 through 22, Peter goes on to say that those who are elected by God, who are the Old Testament saints, uh, are the ones that were in this paradise. Uh, and he gives the flood as an example, and it makes a um, uh, comparison to baptism. Um, and he states that now Jesus is in heaven. And Jesus is in heaven, and all those who were in paradise went with him to heaven, right? Uh, he made the way, he opened up the way for us to spend eternity in the throne room of God. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. Uh, he established that. Also, uh, we see in Ephesians, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gift un gifts unto men. That's Ephesians 4, 8. So we see that Jesus had this ministry of going to paradise and taking those captives that were there. Uh, before his death, burial, and resurrection, there was no access to heaven. But he now has made that way as the second Adam and has carried these captives uh, out of captivity into the glory of heaven uh, before the Father. And he says he gave gifts to men. Well, yeah, that's through God, the Holy Spirit. We have these gifts that we can now use to encourage one another and to build one another up. Uh, it's it's all it all makes so much sense. Right. So um, back to Jonah. Jonah says, out of the belly of hell, cried I, um, thou heard my voice. So Jonah cried from this hellish experience. And Jesus, we see cried from the very literal shield. So you see how they were getting to see how there's an application for Jonah directly and also to the Lord Jesus and his experience. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compass me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. So we see with Jonah this was his little experience. You know, he was cast into the deep and it was terrifying. And he was engulfed by the, um, by the sea and, and the floods and the, the waves and the billows. You know, they just, you know, tossed him to and fro. And then this fish came and gobbled him up. But we also get an idea or a picture of the Lord Jesus and his experience as that he died a literal death. And he was separated from the Father. Um... That's something that had never happened. Our sin, all the sin of everyone who was to be saved was placed upon him at once and it separated him from the Father because the Father cannot look upon sin. And it was it was a terrible experience. It was a horrifying experience. And that's kind of what the Lord is, is making us to see through this experience with Jonah. And we need to understand to the, the lengths that God went to to save us because like I said it helps us helps us to understand and appreciate and yield ourselves to service because we're indebted 
and we don't know how much we are indebted to him. And we really won't completely understand that until we're made complete and in heaven. But at that time, we won't have an opportunity to respond in service or um, to do any work to uh, on behalf of the Lord Jesus at that time because our work will be done. So it's important for us to understand that now to help motivate and encourage us that yes, we're going to suffer. We're going to have situations that are challenging, but there's a reason and a purpose for it. And it's to glorify him who deserves that. All the, uh, of our, um, all of our uh, love, all of our devotion. So this is, a, we have to see these parallels between what was happening to Jonah and also the Lord Jesus. In verse four of chapter two, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. So here we see the words of, of faith and confidence of Jonah that he knew that death could not separate him from God. He knew from his experience with God as a prophet, as a believer, that even the circumstances of death could not separate him from God. But we also see the Lord Jesus as he was literally separated from the Father, right? And it says, I am cast out of thy sight. That was the, the trauma of the experience for the Lord Jesus is that he was separated from the Father. But he still in faith says, yet I will look toward thy holy temple. He knew that, yes, I'm separated from the Father, but there's a purpose. And he says, for the, it says in scripture, for the joy set before me, he suffered the cross. So he knew that he was not only going to see the holy temple again, but he was also going to bring many captives, many uh, souls with him, including those of us who are saved today. In um, verse five, the waters compassed me about, even unto the soul. The depth, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. So now we get a picture of what it was like for Jonah, right? He is um, drowning. You know, he's, he's drowning to death. And um, when the water is around you, there's no air. So at some point, he's going to die. And he says, weeds are wrapped around his head. I mean, you know, if you, your imagination will allow you, you can kind of see, you know, the horror of, of that experience. And to die drowning is worse, be, worsened by the fact that you're fully um, cognizant of what's happening. You know, you're not dying in your sleep. You're dying while you're awake fully cognizant of what's going on. And we see that was the experience of Jonah. And so we see something of the horror of his predicament. In verse six, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Um, so the picture here to me is this, this spiraling downward. Um, when you think about the mountains, you know, we look at the top of the mountains, right? From the perspective of being on dry land, but when you're in, in the water, you can see that the mountains continue to go down. I mean, the earth continues to go down deep into the, the sea. And uh, that's what he's saying. I went down. You know, I went to the bottom of the mountains. 
Uh, he's painting a picture of the depths of his descent. And I think also there's a picture there of the descent of the Lord Jesus into the, re the recesses of uh, uh, the earth as well. It says, the earth with her bars was about me forever. And this is clearly a picture of death. Uh, the bars of the earth um, uh, was about me forever. So this is the finality of death that's being described, um, that Jonah actually died, that he drowned to death. But he says, Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. So here we see Jonah uh, in retrospect giving this account of his own death and the Lord bringing him back to life. But it says that, yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. So that's a clear um, call to uh, Psalm 16.10, where it says, For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So here we see the Lord Jesus and how that he did not see decay, that he was raised on the third day. Um, Jonah um, was just a man. He would decay, right? Uh, but here we see this corruption. He saved his life from corruption. Um, there was no corruption in the Lord Jesus because he lived a life that was perfect. And even in death, there was no corruption. That's what made him the perfect um, savior for us and i believe that this is a clear reference to that 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 psalm in verse seven uh, when my soul fainted within me i remembered the lord and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple so this is jonah after the fact jonah saying you know this is what happened to me this was my experience and when my soul fainted, when he says in uh, verse 2, I cried out by reason of my affliction. He says, when my soul fainted within me, when I was dying, I remembered the Lord, right? And my prayer came unto thee into thy holy temple. Well, how is that possible? How is it that our prayers can come before a righteous God? Well, it's because we have an advocate. We have the Lord Jesus. We have the high priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus advocating us because there's no righteousness in us we have no right or place to even know god to have a relationship with god but through the lord jesus we have everything and that's what this should point us to this is what we should be reminded of and he continues to say um, into thine holy temple because this is the throne room of god this is the ultimate place to be um, this is where you want your prayers to to go because that's where the Lord Jesus is who can hear them. And that's where all power, all glory, all mercy. It's in this temple. The picture is a picture of mercy. The mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. And uh, the mercy seat sat between the cherubim, right? And that's where the blood was taken because that's the seat of mercy the holy temple and that's where we that's what we need access to and Jesus has accomplished that you have that access if you are saved call on him 
use and advocate the ministry of the Lord Jesus as your high priest. It's vital to your growth. It's vital to your ability to serve him. In verse 8, they that observe blind vanities, uh, and this is is pointing back to Jonah, I think, chapter 1, verse 5, where the mariners before, they said, then the mariners were afraid and they cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares. You know, those were lying vanities. Those were, those gods that they served were idols. They were nothings, right? And they were a lie. And Jonah, Jonah testifies that the, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And I think we as believers can forsake the the mercy of God in when we don't call out to him, when we get on a trajectory that's going away from God, we, we basically do the same thing. We forsake our mercy. The mercy of God is what sustains us, what keeps us where we need to be, where we need to be going and how we need to get there. It's important for us not to forsake that mercy because of sin or because of rebellion. Keep, we got to keep our eyes on him. Encourage one another. You encourage me and I'm going to encourage you. Keep our eyes on him. And don't forsake this mercy. This mercy is invaluable. We do have a high priest that's ministering on our behalf. In verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So here we see... Jonah's sincerity, the sincerity of his belief that he's not just going to give lip service to the fact that salvation is of God. He is going to manifest the works. The You're going to see the evidence of God in his life and how he lives his life and the things that he do, that he does. Forgive me. He says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. So he's saying that I will fulfill my um, my vow. I will thank you and offer this sacrifice. And the interesting thing is, is that one of the sacrifices of a believer priest in a church age, church age is the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Uh, It's so important that we remember that when we go before the Lord and we cry out and we ask and we say we need this and help us, that we don't forget to thank him because we should. He, He deserves far more than our thanksgiving, but that's what we have to offer. That's the sacrifice that we have to offer that he's given us to be able to give to him. Is a sacrifice to thanksgiving. And this was true back in Jonah's day and it's still true today. It's important. Always remember to give thanks. We have so much more to be thankful for. And if we spend our time thanking God for all the things that um, he deserves to be thanked for, we'll have less time to be overcome by circumstances and it'll help us to keep our eyes on him. So here we see Jonah setting that forth, saying that I will pay what I have vowed 
you know, the thanksgiving that's due unto the Lord. And the key, I think, to this whole book that everybody agrees on that I've read, salvation is of the Lord. So this book is about salvation, the salvation of the Mariners, the salvation of Jonah from this tragedy, the salvation of the church through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and ultimately the salvation of the Ninevites, as we're going to see in the next chapter. But this book is about salvation, the responsibility of the believer, the trajectory of the believer, that we will ultimately be in the holy temple, that all of us are going to meet together one day in the holy temple. That is the um, ultimate end of all believers. I may not know you right now. You could be anywhere in the world. Uh, you could be listening to this and I could be long gone. I don't know. But I do know that one day all of us will be together in his holy temple. And it's all thanks to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you can't thank him for anything other than that, thank him for that. Okay, that's what we should be doing. In verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. So, a few things I want to note here. Um, Jonah is now in Nineveh, where God wanted him to be. Did he get there the way that he wanted to get there? Nope. But God got him there the way he destined for him to get there. And it's important for us to see that just do what God says. If God asks you to do something, just do it. That's where the blessing is. The mariners, God told them to throw Jonah overboard. They threw him overboard. Then they were able to reverence him and they grew closer to him. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and he did just the opposite. Uh, he ended up in Nineveh, but it wasn't the way he wanted. It's important for us to see that it's better to learn through the experience of others to just obey God. The second thing is Jonah's alive now. You know, he was dead. He was drowned in the belly of this fish and now he's alive. Therefore, fulfilling that uh, picture of resurrection. And the third thing, the fish obeyed God when God spoke to it. Jonah didn't. And that's what I... You know, something that I mentioned earlier on in this study that, you know, was brought out when I first was sat under this uh, book of Jonah, somebody else was teaching, that the fish obeyed God, Jonah didn't. And that's the, that's the uh, sad commentary of mankind. Um, the wonder and the great blessing of faith is that it's directly associated with the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. We have the comfort of that ministry even when we face death. We don't face death alone. We have God, the Holy Spirit with us. That's the blessing of being saved. God, the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our salvation and assures us that we will see the Holy Temple that we will be in the throne room of God. God, the Holy Spirit, will deliver us to that point. So what can man do to us? Death has no victory, thanks to the Lord Jesus. 
Death is the only separation um, that we have to fear. And that's the separation of the soul from the body, never from God. So why should we fear that? Uh, our soul will always have the comfort and uh, encouraging ministry of the Lord Jesus, regardless. We'll never be separated from the Lord Jesus, ever. Uh, Jesus has made sure of that. So in light of that, we should sacrifice unto Jesus with the voice of thanksgiving, just like Jonah says here, because he's worthy. Uh, I pray that this is an encouragement to you as it encourages me. Wherever you are and whatever situation you're in, you may be on your deathbed. I don't know. But be comforted and know that the Lord Jesus is with you and God the Holy Spirit will deliver you directly to the presence of the Lord. Let's close. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to know you and the power of your resurrection the fellowship of your sufferings. Father, encourage our hearts to look to you, to cry out to you, and to look to you for everything that we need. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.